Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. It is uh, the start of football camp. August 1st, as we record this. So a lot of our Inside Carolina listeners have been paying attention to Mac Brown and his Tar Heels as they prepare to get ready for the 2019 season. But Sherelle and I have made a uh, living off of doing off-season basketball slash recruiting podcasts. And that's going to be one of these um, to give our basketball folks and our Carolina all sports fans in general something to talk about and discuss to listen to other than the football talk that will be ramping up here very shortly. Sean joins me from California. Short notice, Sean. Appreciate you taking the time to get with us. Uh, I think this is going to be a good one, but I wanted to give you a shout out before we got started. No problem. Looking forward to it. Let's start first with Dayron Sharp, and I'm going to go with you first, Sherelle, and I'm going to bring up a comment I made several months ago, I guess last December, when I saw him at the John Wall Classic or the Glaxo or the Holiday Festival or the Holiday Invitational, whatever they call it there, Broughton. And I said, uh, I didn't think he did too much. And I said that on the Inside Carolina message board thread and got skewered um, by some Sharp fans. I didn't say he was not good. I just didn't think he did a ton in the game that I saw. But Sherelle, he certainly has made a name for himself. He did that season. He did in that tournament. And he sort of continued um, up until this point this summer. It's definitely been a good spring and summer for Dayron. And, you know, part of it was that some of the national writers hadn't had a chance to see him because he played 16 and under last summer. And they don't watch a ton of 16 and under. They're mostly focused on 17 and under uh, in grassroots basketball. And so you could go eight or nine months without seeing a kid. And I think finally when they saw him in April uh, with Gardner Road, 17 and under, he just played really, really well. His motor is always running high, to use that cliche. He plays very, very hard. And he is an elite offensive rebounder. I think his defensive rebounding isn't quite where his offensive rebounding is, but I mean, he is one of the best offensive rebounders I've seen at this age. Um, so he showed that, and then he played really well at MBPA camp. And a lot of that is simply just playing hard because that camp is set up in a way that is very long. Um, it, it's a day that starts at 7 and ends you know, at 10 or 11. The games are NBA length, so they feel like they take forever. And so just half the battle when you're at MBPA camp is just playing hard um, and continuing to run and continuing to give effort. And scouts love that when guys play hard because there's so many people who are just kind of floating through on their talent. Uh, So I think that helped him. And then he's definitely gotten better as a player. He's in better physical shape. Um, Sean saw him in L.A. I think it was last weekend. Um, And he just seems like a more complete player. And he's kind of risen in all the rankings and seems primed to rise even higher. John, your take on what you saw um, a few days back. I mean, he's he's a nationwide guy now. Certainly the local crowd has has known him, like Sherelle said, but him going national certainly will help that stock. Uh, Your thoughts on what you saw out of him in L.A.? I actually got to see him in L.A. just the other week at the Adidas tournament, but he was also out in L.A. in early June for the Pangos All-American camp. So I'll probably start there because I think it's interesting just to see, see the differences. And 
when he was out here at the beginning of June, he was playing, you know, the Pangos camp, a lot of talent, but very guard oriented and very free flowing. So if you're a true big, you're really not going to get the ball that often. And that was definitely what happened to Sharp in that camp. But, you know, the thing that Sherell hit on, and I think everybody's noticed is how hard he plays. And he was running up and down the floor, every possession. There are times you could tell he was getting frustrated, but he didn't let that affect his game or his attitude or kind of stand anybody up, which I thought was pretty impressive. Uh, when he did get the ball, he was able to score around the basket pretty effectively, uh, was still able to get some fast break layups and dunks. And there's kind of one, actually two possessions that stick out of my mind where the coach finally called his number and said, give it to Dayron. And the first time he got fouled, second time they threw the ball in bounds, he caught it from the uh, the right corner. And he just went straight to the basket, dunked it basically on the defender, got fouled. And it, it kind of sent all the players and all the everybody watching kind of in a in a frenzy uh, with what he what he did off the dribble. Uh, so kind of fast forward to the Adidas tournament. The first game I got to watch, which was the third day of the tournament, so the final day, he went for 24-14-4 and four against a pretty tough uh, Team Rose team in Chicago. And he was kind of doing it all, catching alley-oops, running the floor, um, showed good hands, left-handed hook, right-handed hook, uh, bank shot. Uh, so he, he, he was doing pretty much much everything. Uh, really good rebounder, as Shrill mentioned, a really good offensive rebounder. And for him, you know, with, with his wingspan, he, he goes straight up and straight down really well. So he doesn't get the ball knocked out of his hands or get it knocked loose. Um, he's just able to go up and, and grab it. And then he's able to outlet and run the floor pretty hard. Uh, so it was a pretty impressive kind of two game performance that I saw from him. And I think for him, you know, the thing going forward is just to try to continue working on the jump shot because uh, he, he let a few fly and, and they look decent. They didn't connect, but I thought overall the form looked good. And if he can add that face-up game, I think that'll just make him that much more dangerous when he does get to Carolina. And when he does get to Carolina, I think the projection has changed a little bit about what he can do. I think when he first committed a year ago, uh, we thought, you know, this is a guy who can come in, probably back up Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott, um, and then go from there. And now I think you have to seriously consider him someone who, you know, could come in and start as a freshman and kind of see what happens from there. Um, so I, I think, one, you have to give him credit for becoming a better player, for continuing to work, even though he committed to his dream school, you know, before he played a game as a junior. And two, you have to give credit to Roy Williams and his staff as well, because they offered him um, very, very early, uh, all things considered, considering he, you know, he hadn't played on a 17 and under team. He hadn't really been to any major camps um, prior to the offer. Um, Roy Williams saw him in April of 2018 at 8 a.m. in Atlanta in an Adidas tournament, and that kind of sold him, I think, on Sharp. So you had to give Roy Williams kind of a, a scouting, uh, him and his staff, a credit for that scouting work, um, even though Sharp definitely wanted to come to North Carolina, and that was kind of his dream school uh, that we mentioned before. You know, I talked to um, uh, Sean um, is going to mention David West. So I talked to his brother, Dwayne, who runs Gardner Road. And he was adamant, you know, probably in late 2017, that Carolina needs to go ahead and get on Sharp because he's the kind of big who, you know, will get Kentucky, will get Duke offers if Carolina doesn't go ahead and get in there. And it, it's proven to be true because, you know, he's going to be 
you know, he's already a top 20 player. He could work his way into the top 15 and who knows, he could even be in the top 10 before it's all said and done. Good point there, Sherelle, um, about Garner Road and Carolina getting in there early. Um, Sean, I know you've had opportunity to see him and talk to people about him as well. I, I just think it's interesting that you've got a guy, like Sherelle said, that committed early but has really continued to work when there have been plenty of uh, you know, examples of kids coasting and, and Sharp just hasn't done that at all. But, Sean, your take. Yeah, you know, both – this year and last year, I was able to talk to David West, who played in the NBA for a long time, great college player, has been around the block, and is the head coach of Garner Rhodes. And last year, coming out of the same Adidas tournament in California, when Char was playing the 16s, David West said, you know, he's like a big ball of clay, and, you know, you're going to be able to mold him into something great, but... He just he's not there yet, and there's a lot of a lot of work to do. But he has everything you need. This year, when I talked to him, you know, he kind of smiled when I brought that up. And he's like, you know, he's definitely not a big ball of clay anymore. You know, he's not a finished product yet, but you can see what he's starting to turn into. You know, he's lost some of the weight. Um, he's improved his skill, and he still has some things to work on before he gets into college. But you know, just in that one year, you could see see the improvement um, that had been made. And that's kind of a testament to his work ethic. And one other thing I noticed was just how much more verbal he was on the court. I think a pretty shy and quiet kid, uh, when he was on defense, he was telling all his teammates where to go, you know, when the picks were coming. So he was really being a lot more verbal and trying to take on, I think, more of a leadership role as well. Sure. One more point on Sharp and – you know, I think a lot of that may be coming uh, from sharp maturing, at least the verbal part, and 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 getting more accustomed to being in the limelight. But Sherelle, you mentioned, you know, his motor's always running as a cliche. But there, there's a couple things with that that I like to see from a, a guy, especially a big, in what's now a guard's world, is he doesn't have to get the ball primarily to score buckets and to make a difference, to get rebounds and get points. I think that type player has always thrived in Roy Williams' system. Even though Roy Williams plays inside out still, that type player that can gobble up offensive rebounds and get putbacks and then hit some foul shots is, you know, that you've got some of the best ever to play at Carolina that could do that pretty well. For sure. And rim running is a big part of, you know, the what the bigs do at Carolina and uh, you know Dayron he's not he's not quite Tyler Zeller as far as being gracefully you know graceful running down the court I think Roy Williams called Tyler Zeller like a deer at one point but Sharp is you know he gets up and down the court and for a big guy um, playing in high school when it's probably easier to coast a little bit and maybe not give maximum effort he's always running you know from rim to rim he's always battling on on the board so it could be a situation where he comes into Carolina and like you said they don't have to run any offense for him and he could get, you know, six to eight points just from, you know, put back here, an easy dunk on in transition there, um, getting fouled, free throws. You know, he could do any of those things and and, and score pretty easily without being um, a primary focus on offense. And I do think that we're nitpicking, but I do think that's an area for improvement for him is becoming a more polished back to the basket player because he does have a jump hook, but you know, that's stuff that can still develop. And again, he's just now heading into his senior season, but that's one area that I think he can improve. 
So last point on Sharp, I said that was the last point. This is the last point. He's transferring Sherell, and, and he's going to a bigger high school with a lot more competition, even though South Central was one of the best in, in North Carolina. His transfer, your take on that, and that's just another point that he's not coasting here as he you know wraps up his senior or heads into his senior season before coming to Carolina. Yeah, he's going down to uh, Mount Verde Academy down in Florida. Uh, Leaky Black was the most recent Carolina player to go there, but <clears throat> R.J. Barrett uh, played there. Ben Simmons played there. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, I believe, played there. So they, they have a lineage of having really great players. Um, I think for him, it'll be interesting to see. It's always interesting to see how guys work out in Mount Verde because the coach, um, Kevin Boyle, is, is uh, known as kind of a taskmaster. He doesn't take anything from his players and he pushes guys and some people can handle it and some can't. And I think, like you said, that's one of the reasons that Sharp decided to go down there was to get pushed to become a better player so that he can come in to North Carolina and, you know, compete for, for a, a starting role. So it definitely shows kind of uh, his mindset. And, you know, it's not going to hurt. Uh, there's a couple other players that North Carolina is looking at on that team. So I, I guess it won't hurt to have a North Carolina commitment around them from a recruiting perspective. Indeed, and we'll talk more about that with Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. But let's talk about JohnnyTShirt.com right fast. It's We're talking basketball, but of course it is football season. And JohnnyTShirt.com and JohnnyTShirt on Franklin Street going to be your places to go to get Carolina gear, whether it's basketball or football. But on Franklin Street, it's important that you visit them while you're in town for the Carolina football games. Miami game on September 7th, perfect opportunity to visit Franklin Street. Johnny T-Shirt and those guys that have been so good to Inside Carolina, so good to Carolina fans for a long, long time. Locally owned and they're alumni, so they know what Carolina fans like, and that's all they have. All Carolina, all the time, both in-store on Franklin Street and online. And if you're Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, and if you like Sherelle and Sean, you need to be because a lot of the questions that people ask me to ask them are answered on our Inside Carolina Premium message boards. You get 10% off that Johnny T-shirt order and you get Sherelle's information, weekly scoops and all that good stuff. JohnnyT-shirt.com, Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street, sponsor of this Inside Carolina podcast. Sean, let's talk about uh sharps transfer and how it sort of kicked up the discussion of Cade Cunningham um, and I have a feeling I know where this conversation might go but there's a reason that Roy Williams does everything but your thoughts on sharp heading down there teaming up with Cade Cunningham yeah well first of all I think you know to echo Sherelle I think it's a, a great move where he'll be playing against national competition and and if he can make it through a year playing for coach Kevin Boyle, he can make it through really anything. But uh, with Kate Cunningham being down there and having been down there last year, um, I think it definitely can hurt. Uh, it's obviously going to be an extreme uphill battle with Oklahoma state, just having hired his older brother as an assistant coach. So I think, you know, being realistic, the likelihood is, is pretty slim, but that being said, I think Kate Cunningham and Sharp have a good bond. Uh, when I did talk, talk to Sharp in California, I did ask him, you know, are you are you recruiting anybody, uh, or you know, kind of who who have you been talking to? And he, he kind of smiled and said, you know, everybody should should watch out. You know, there are going to be a few surprises in store. So you know, maybe 
one of those surprises will be Cade Cunningham. But I think, you know, if his brother weren't at Oklahoma State, I think UNC would definitely be, if not in the driver's seat, at least in the passenger seat, uh, knowing that they're going to be losing Cole Anthony after a year. Uh, Cunningham has a really good head on his shoulders. And I think the point guard spot at Carolina, you know, we've, we've talked so much about is Carolina kind of one of the it schools. And for a while, with the top five or ten recruits, it hasn't been. But I think definitely now from the point guard spot, it is one of those it schools with Kobe White and now Cole Anthony. And I think Cade Cunningham would easily fit the dynamic of, of kind of a Roy Williams point guard despite despite his size. Um, he's another guy I saw early in the summer and was really blown away with. Uh, he was able to do a little bit of everything and was just a very smooth and controlled big uh, big point guard that could do could do it all and I think it'll team well with Sharp and hopefully, you know, it'll be more than just one year of teamwork, but I think with what Oklahoma State did, definitely an uphill battle. Sure, you made a great point off the air uh, of why regardless of how much uh, Cunningham may be locked up to Oklahoma State, why it's still important that Carolina at least keeps that trail out there and stays on him. Well, North Carolina needs a big class again in uh, 2020. We talked about this kind of ad nauseum with the 2019 class about them needing to have four or five guys who could come in and contribute right away. And I think they got, you know, definitely three, maybe four um, guys who can do that. I'll say four. They definitely got four guys who can do that, maybe five, depending upon how some injuries and things work out. Um, So that said, it's kind of like, well, if Cade Cunningham is at the top of your board and He's a really good player um, who you know is going to be in the NBA in a couple of years. And it's not going to hurt you with other players because they assume he's going to Oklahoma State, just like everyone assumes he's going to Oklahoma State. Then what's the harm in at least, you know, keeping tabs on him and recruiting him and just seeing what happens? Because you never know, you know, uh, coaches can leave. Uh, his brother could get a different job. Um, there's a you know a number of things that could happen. And I think what North Carolina wants to do is position itself so that if something does happen, um, with Cunningham and his brother in Oklahoma State, that they can be there and they can say, look, we never stopped recruiting you because we wanted you the whole time and we're here. So if you're ready, we're ready, that kind of thing. Um, so it, it really is a, a low-risk, high-reward situation for Roy Williams. And I think that's why UNC will continue to recruit Cunningham un- until he ultimately you know, commits where everybody thinks he is, which is Oklahoma State. Sean, you mentioned Carolina maybe back in it being an it school on the recruiting trail. Um, what makes you say that? And I'm not saying, of course, the performance of Kobe White and now Cole Anthony. Is there more to um, Carolina's recruiting maybe uptick, if we can talk about North Carolina as having an uptick in recruiting? Your just overall thoughts on um, how that progression has come about. Um, because as Sherelle and me have talked about over the years, I mean, it doesn't seem like very long ago we were talking about wishful thinking on Carolina getting these big names. And now it seems like they're at least in the race, in the final race for a lot of them. Yeah, you know, it's a good question having, you know, from especially from my Inside Carolina days, uh, kind of coming on the podcast and writing, was really when, you know, the 2014 and 15 and 16 classes where it was just miss after miss. And, you know, you sit at some of these events and you talk to some of these parents and 
you kind of hear these side comments about UNC or Coach Williams or the system and, and what have you. And anytime they would enter into one of these recruitments with a one-and-done player, you would just kind of chalk it up as something that wasn't real, you know, some, you know, something that wasn't realistic. And, you know, it, I don't know if it was one particular thing, but getting Naz and, and getting Kobe obviously helped. Um, I mean, Tony Bradley was a one and done, but he wasn't a lottery pick, top five, ten guy. Um, and, you know, Naz was projected higher than he went, but I think just it's kind of a combination of the playing style as well as, you know, once again, Kobe White was a really fun player to watch. Um, and I think a lot of people saw that. And then you see Cole Anthony, you know, he was really besides James Wiseman, kind of the most publicized player in the recruiting class. Plus he's a guard. So guards are already more marketable than, than bigs to begin with. And you kind of have the recency bias of who's been there lately and, the kids that are going to be juniors and seniors, you know, they have a short memory. So I think they see what's new and they see UNC playing fast. You have the colors, you know, you have all the new recruits doing their, their photos in the museum. And I think this is kind of a combination of, you know, really things that seem pretty far away just a few years ago. Now, all of a sudden, Carolina is being talked about. And while they might not be, you know, getting a player over Duke in a head-to-head battle, uh, they're definitely in the conversation and a lot more legitimately than they were in the past. Sure. Let's turn to some more updates. First thing people always ask is what's so-and-so going to do, or give me an update on this person or that person. So I'm just going to leave it open for you and make it tough on you. I'm going to ask you an open-ended question. We've talked about Sharp. He's in the, he's in the nest for Roy Williams. We've talked about Cade Cunningham. Turn to maybe the, the next tier of guys that, that folks on Inside Carolina especially been wanting to know about and what, what you've seen from them this summer. Uh, so let's start with so a, a couple of things that have um, happened today. So DJ Stewart, who is a guard from Chicago, um, Sean's old stopping grounds, cut his list to eight. Um, and that list was Duke, DePaul, Illinois, North Carolina, Iowa State, Texas, Indiana, and Louisville, I believe, off the top of my head. Um, and then Cade Cunningham, who we were just talking about, cut his list of five. And that list was uh, Florida, Kentucky, Carolina, Oklahoma State, and Washington. So what we're seeing a lot uh, with this particular class, and I'm not sure if it's a, a growing trend or not, because um, it, it's still r- relatively new. But um, usually when you get to August you know, August, September timeframe, the lists aren't nine or eight or seven. They're more like three or five most of the time. And most of these recruits that North Carolina is going after are doing, you know, top sevens, top six, top five, top eight, that kind of thing. So I'm a little surprised that the approach is so methodical from so many of these players, considering so many of the same schools, Kansas, Indiana, Louisville, Carolina, Kentucky, are off after Arizona or after probably the same, you know, group of 10 or 11 guys. So that's interesting um, as far as where the recruitments are. The thing right now that we're really waiting on is to see who decides to officially visit where they can, players can start taking official visits now. Um, So it's like, you know, 
when are you going to set up your official visits? What's your time frame? That's kind of the information we're working to get now. We hope to do our uh, list within a list scoop next week. That is where we just kind of break down the list of seven and say, okay, this is their list of seven, but these are the two or three or four schools that they're really considering. Um, so we hope to have that for everybody next week. As far as on the court play, that was a long answer. Uh, there's another breaking news thing, too, that just happened is that Isaiah Todd, who North Carolina offered a while ago, is transferring to uh, Word of God in Raleigh per um, USA Today. And Brian Clifton is no longer the head coach at Word of God. So that's kind of a big deal in local North Carolina basketball. OK, so all that out of the way. <laughs> um, yeah, North Carolina has, I think, 16 offers out right now. Um, and it really is just a waiting game to see who's going to visit. And, you know, it's kind of a, a domino thing. Once one or two players start committing to different schools, I think we'll see things move uh, a little more quickly. There are a couple of guys um, who they're recruiting, uh, who I think they know are probably going elsewhere, but they still are just, you know, just keeping tabs on them. As far as play over the summer, Kate Cunningham was the best player I think I can speak for Ben <laughs> and uh, Sean that it, that we saw over the summer. I mean, he was tremendous from the first EYBL session session all the way um, to, you know, games in July and uh, Peace Jam. He just really has grown as a player and he can do so many things and he's so under control and so smooth. Um, so he was really good. Um, a couple of other players they offered. Um, Greg Brown was solid. Uh, for most of the spring, he was one of the teammates of Cunningham on uh, the Texas Titans. And then, you know, there's so many other guys. Uh, R.J. Davis is a point guard from uh, New York that they've offered who was really good at Peach Jam. There's Hunter Dickinson and Earl Timberlake and Caleb Love and Puff Johnson. And the list goes on and on and on. But, you know, all their guys who they've offered are really good players. And for the most part, I think they have a chance of signing a really, really good class. It's just a matter, like we said, of figuring out official visits and kind of where things stand from there. Sorry for the long answer. That was really no, long. No, it was a long answer, but it's also led me to my commercial break. So we're going to come back. I'm going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about Carolina recruiting. And I got a couple of random questions I said I was going to ask you guys. Uh, but let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Stay refreshed with Taste Salud, the ultimate hydration experience. Dive into the world of Agua Frescas, designed to elevate your day, boost your energy, stay hydrated, and unwind with Salud's on-the-go stick packets, each with just one gram of sugar. Exclusive for our listeners, enjoy a 10% discount on your first order with code TASTE10 at checkout. Visit tastesalud.com for the full selection. Taste the difference with Taste Salud. Cheers to health. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. We're back. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley, joined by Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran. Sean, uh, best uh, best player you've seen in, in the last – since January 1 on the recruiting trail, not named Cade Cunningham. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to go with Zaire Williams. Uh, it's not a 
you know, crazy answer given how highly he's ranked. And I've got to go back a little ways to actually the high school season when I when I did see him play because I wasn't able to catch any of the EYBL action in person. But I uh, was able to catch him in high school a few times. And at that point in time, really Stanford was kind of the school, not really out in front, but the school that had been most aggressive with him. And at the time, he was pretty excited about getting out to Carolina again. And I remember him saying, you know, he didn't need to go again, but he really wanted his parents to see it. And it kind of struck me as weird that there wasn't all the blue bloods and and big name schools after him at the time. And I remember saying, you know, it'd be great to try to lock him up early. And then that way, you don't have to fend off the Kentucky Dukes of the world later on. And, you know, now we see Duke having just offered him, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I think he had the summer he wanted where he was able to show his skill set on the EYBL. Um, and he kind of took took a break in July. But from for him, he's, you know, he's 6'7", six, 6'8", six, really pure stroke from the outside. Um, you know, very fundamental shot. Uh, when it when he misses, he's not missing, you know, left or right. It, it's always close to the basket. You know, I think athleticism-wise, that was a question I had going into the spring, and I think he answered that with a lot of his performances. Um, so I'm looking forward to potentially catching him in California again this year. He'll be playing for Sierra Canyon, which will be a zoo with uh, Brandon Boston, and then you have Dwayne Wade's son and LeBron's son. So it might be a tough ticket to catch, but I would say definitely Zaire. Um, and then I'm going to throw, you know, maybe throw a question to Sherelle. Uh, you had mentioned Earl Timberlake, and he was a guy I actually saw last summer at the U18 tryouts, which was kind of funny because you had the U18, so you had Kobe White, uh, Cole Anthony, et cetera, and then you had you know Earl Timberlake, who was just going into his junior season, so obviously had, had you know taken a repeat year, but at the time, I just assumed he was a guy that was always much stronger than the people his age, um, and he, he didn't really have a lot of skill, but it seemed like he played pretty well in Peach Jam. So I'd love to just kind of get your take on his game and how you could see him potentially fitting in at Carolina because he's been one that I've been really interested in. He, he was really good at Peach Jam, and he was also really good at uh, MBPA. <clears throat> and uh, I think what we saw from him and what we tried to uh, convey, because we, we saw, again, we saw him in April in Atlanta, in June in MBPA, and then again in July at Peach Jam, is that um, you know his offensive game as far as shooting is still in development, but it's not going to be like some other wings at North Carolina who struggled to shoot because he does so many other things well offensively. Um, not to throw Theo Pinson out there, but Pinson was a primary facilitator for UNC, um, especially his senior year, but also some his junior season. And I think Timberlake, while maybe not a, a primary primary facilitator, can do a lot of those things. And then the way he's built. You know, he can play, um, realistically, he could play the two, the three, and the four at Carolina just because he's so strong. Again, another player um, like Sharp, whose motor always runs high and is a very serious guy on the court. Uh, off the court, he likes to joke and, and laugh and everything. Um, but you talk about players who really see basketball as a job, as something that means a lot to them, who, um, you know, take care in their craft. He's one of those guys. Um a really good finisher kind of bullies his way into the paint. Um, his handles are better than you might expect. 
um, left-handed. So that's always kind of fun to see a, a big guy who's left-handed who can handle the ball. Um, and then he's an excellent defender as well. And I think that's where he could really come in as a freshman um, wherever he goes and earn his minutes because um, there have been, we, we talked to his high school coach at DeMatha, uh, Mike Jones, and he talked about how pretty much if there was a player who was, you know, scoring on them or they couldn't stop, Earl might not even ask the coaches. He might just switch off on them and say, okay, I got this guy and shut him down, whether it was a 6'10 forward or a 6'3 guard. So I think that plays um, a lot into it for, for him where he to pick North Carolina. And we know that Roy Williams values defense and he values effort. So he's got those two things working for him already. And his offense will, I, I assume his offense will catch up, you know, just the more he plays basketball and the more time he has to, you know, hone his shooting stroke and become better offensively. Question for both of you guys. Uh, best player maybe nobody's talking about. Sherelle, I'll start with you. Best player you saw. I'll go back to R.J. Davis. I mean, he was tremendous um, at Peach Jam. And, uh, you know, in Atlanta, I missed him because we were looking at someone else. And uh, there was a game where he outplayed R.J. Hampton, who was a former top five recruit who's now down in New Zealand, Australia. Um, he skipped his senior, skipped his freshman year of college to go down there and play. But I mean, he's been a tremendous. He's a great shooter. Um, he's really good at creating space. Um, and that helps him because he's listed at 6'1", but he's probably closer to 5'11". That helps him um, kind of mitigate the height difference that he has on defenders. And, you know, he's just kind of a, one of those hard-nosed guys. He's not built like him, but his playing mentality is very similar to Joel Berry in that um, he likes to shoot and he won't let his team lose. So uh, he definitely has that going for him. And I think Hubert Davis loves He's the lead recruiter on uh, Davis. He loves the fact that he's one of those New York kids who's tough, who's kind of had to battle since he was young. And Davis himself talks about how much he loves competition. So that seems to be a theme, too. And the players that North Carolina has offered in the 2020 class, most of them, the majority of them, kind of have that hard-nosed, you know, uh, basketball is very serious. I'm coming in to play. I'm coming in to compete. I love competition um, type mindset. You know what I think about that mindset. Sean, your take on uh, best player nobody's talking about that you've seen this summer. Um, I'm going to jump to the 2021 class, and there was a guy that we did a story on the other week after the Adidas tournament, and Harrison Ingram. And Harrison is a uh, – I think he's listed as 6'7", but I'll say a 6'5 to 6'6", kind of guard forward and he, he's in the I think the 20s I believe so not a, a top ranked guy and initially first saw him at at the Pangos camp again and you kind of look at him and you know he kind of looks like you know a little little pudgy so he has a little weight to potentially lose and you kind of wonder what position he is and coming off Pangos I was kind of wondering you know why is UNC looking at him and at the time Steve Robinson was um, I think the the main assistant coach that had watched him in April. And then here I am in July and he's playing on the 17 year old circuit. He's playing for Marcus Smart's team. And he's really the go-to guy on what was the top team in that tournament. And here he was, you know, getting, getting his teammates involved early with a really nice passing ability, not just the ability to hit the open man, but really good vision. And then all of a sudden he's hitting comfortably uh, a shot well behind the NBA three-point line. Then he's handling the ball 
And he's not blowing by his defenders, but he's able to use his body. He's able to kind of know when to attack. And all of a sudden, he's becoming the go-to scorer in what was a really, really competitive game, despite not being um, any college coaches allowed at that tournament. So he definitely grew on me um, at the Adidas tournament. And right now, his recruitment is is pretty manageable with a lot of Texas schools. And then you have Stanford. Um, so it seems Stanford's been pretty good at kind of identifying these guys early. Now, will Jared Haas be able to get them is another question. But uh, once again, you know, a, a recruitment that a lot of the bigger schools aren't in. And maybe not necessarily a one-and-done guy, but a very smooth and steady player that I think Coach Robinson watched again in July. And, and I wouldn't be surprised to, to see Coach Williams out at uh out in texas watching some of his uh his practices in the preseason interesting there i always like to ask that question every year because there's always somebody that you guys pick up on that nobody's really gotten hyped on and they end up being um, either a really high major kid or a really really uh elite guy down the road so it's fun to ask it i hope our listeners enjoyed those answers and keep a watch on those guys Last question, last couple questions, and I'll, I'll start with you, Sean, because you mentioned, um, or we talked about it off air, um, and we talked about the one-and-done deal, and I said, why wouldn't a kid go to New Zealand or somewhere overseas and, and play for a year and then go to the draft? If the rule's not going to change, which I think it's going to change eventually, maybe sooner than later, but why wouldn't a, a high-flight guy that didn't like school, didn't care to go to school, even though one-and-dones don't go to school a ton, why not go elsewhere? Why is there not more of that? What's your thought, Sean? Well, I think, you know, we might be seeing a, a changing of the guard right now because we've had players that have, have done it in the past, from Brandon Jennings to Emmanuel Moutier. And, well, you know, Moutier, for example, was still drafted – top 10, um, you know, I think the stories you heard, they're not averaging a lot of points. It's, it's very difficult to go over to these, these foreign countries. Um, and then you even had Ter- Terrence Ferguson that was over in Australia a few years ago, and I think he averaged under four points a game. So you've had these guys that haven't been that successful, and it hasn't really been a desired commodity. But I think with the RJ Hampton news and with the Australian League kind of creating their next stars program where they're, I mean, for RJ Hampton, he was getting recruited probably earlier than a lot of other schools were recruiting him to come over to the New Zealand breakers. Um, So now with this next stars program where they're identifying these kind of elite high school programs, you're going over somewhere where it's really nice weather. They speak English. Um, They're going to be, you know, kind of catering to these younger players a little bit, you know, they still have to win and they're still going to have older, Americans and older, um, you know, Australian, New Zealand players. But I think if RJ Hampton does well, you couple that with him being a top five draft pick, a good shoe deal, and a pretty easy, easy pace where he's back home in March to train. And I could see a lot of people following that route. Um, You know, I think the other thing to mention is just looking at Darius Baisley, who decided not to play anywhere. Uh, basically go to New Balance and and work out. And here he is getting drafted, I think it was 21st pick, Oklahoma City Thunder. So even before Naz Little, um, 
and he literally didn't do anything. He didn't get anything picked apart. So you see those examples and you say, well, you know, why, why should I? Um, so I, I don't think it'll be a tremendous amount, but I, I definitely do think the Australia New Zealand way is going to compete at least over the next few years until the NBA draft or sorry, until the NBA makes a decision one way or the other on one and done. Sorrell, is it a thing? I mean, could it be a thing? Oh yeah. I mean, it's happened more in the last couple of years than I think it did maybe the last 10 or 15 combined. So I think it's definitely a thing. Uh, I still think you're only talking about one to two players um, per class who will opt to do that. Uh, and that's just kind of the new reality. Um, not everybody wants to go to college and not everybody thinks they need college. Um, Marjan Beauchamp, who decided to do that today, that's what he said to 24-7 Sports' Evan Daniels, that basically – he feels like he doesn't need college to be ready for the NBA. And I, I think um, especially the more confident ones will believe that. And I'm not saying that they're wrong, um, but you'll just have a couple of people each year who do that. They'll opt to train or go to Australia or go wherever, um, earn a little money and then be ready for the NBA. I think Baisley, like Sean said, is, is a tremendous case because um, he, you know, he doesn't have any tape. So there's nothing to pick apart and say, well, he can't do this. He can't do that. He still has kind of that, um, that guys of mystery around him that, Oh, well maybe this kid can do this or maybe he can do that as opposed to someone who went to college and, and maybe um, didn't have the year they expected. So it's almost like people are being rewarded for not playing, which is an interesting step. So all that to say uh, once, once, you know, players can go straight to the NBA from high school, I think this will become a, a little bit of a moot point. Uh, Cause that's the only reason people are doing it now is just because they can't go straight out of high school. So I think you'll see five to 10 prospects straight out of high school pretty much every year. And then the other guys will go to college for a year and then go to the NBA because even, even with um, the, some of the money that they can make overseas, I still think a lot of them value the branding opportunities in the United States that college affords them. So um, it's here to stay, but I don't think it'll become the trend where 15 of the top 20 every year go to Australia or go wherever um, instead of going to college. It's an interesting thought. I mean, if you look at uh, Carolina's two one-and-dones from last season, one showed the benefit of playing and having a great season. The other one showed uh, what could happen if you don't have a great season when the expectations are high. I mean, is that a fair assessment of the risk and reward of playing in college basketball, Sherelle? Um, Maybe. Um, You know, I – if, for one, Nasir would have never been in college if he'd have been able to go, you know, to the NBA, which again I think is just really unfair that the players can't do that. Um, anyway, but that's another story for another day. Uh, but Kobe is someone who really benefited from it um, because he wasn't out of high school. I don't think he was ready to go to the NBA, but in one season he showed everything that he needed to show on tape um, to go to the NBA. So I think for him it was really good because he went from someone we, we were saying, hey, maybe he can get picked in the in the late 20s to, you know, top 10 pick. So, I, I like you said, it's a case-by-case basis, but I, I wouldn't say um, that necessarily it hurt either one of them. It hurt Nasir financially, for sure. But I think in the end, he'll end up being a, a better basketball player when it's all said and done because of that experience. Good stuff. Sean, uh, I want to give you the last say. Uh, what are your expectations for – uh, the the team that Roy Williams will field this year, get one brief segment on the current team and the actual team rather than talking recruiting, because I'll be honest with you, with recruiting, I feel like a lot of people totally missed 
out on Kobe White. They they saw Kobe White play. He he had a great season, but folks were so enamored with Cole Anthony and talking about, um, you know, Cole Anthony's coming next year and what's next and all this stuff. They might have missed. They saw Kobe, but they might have missed um, the importance and just the difference uh, of Kobe. And I, I just think he was a rare player at North Carolina. But anyway, your thoughts on this coming season for Carolina and Roy Williams? Sure, I'll keep it short, but I think. You know, one thing, hopefully Carolina fans saw the full season. I think it took everybody outside of Carolina until really February to realize what Kobe was doing, where the Carolina fans, I think, had pretty good expectations knowing that the point guard spot was wide open and the keys would be handed to him. Um, so I think it was everybody else that really missed out until the end. But for this season, uh, I think it's a big big question mark. I mean, I think it'll be fun. And Carolina did a lot in the spring to make themselves competitive. Uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of question marks. Can Leaky Black step up? Can Brandon Robinson be consistent? Um, how's Armando Bacot going to gonna play against uh, Garrison Brooks? Will Sterling Manley have the sophomore year that people thought he might have? Um, you know, how will Justin Pierce and Christian Keeling adapt to a much higher level of play? So I think there's a lot of question marks, but I think it'll be a fun team and it'll be interesting to see how Roy fits the pieces together of what should be more of a traditional Carolina lineup, but still have a lot of firepower offensively. I think it's going to be fun to watch. I think people are going to, uh, I could be wrong, but I think, uh, like I said, folks are going to miss Kobe White more than they might think, even with um, however good Cole Anthony turns out to be. Sherelle, it's a recruiting podcast. I'll let you close it. Let's run down the list. <laughs> of offers you've been itching to do it um so you got a rapid fire give me a list uh, before we get out of here okay so the we want to talk about players we've already talked about so uh we will start we talked about kate cunningham we will start with hunter dickinson he's a center uh who is a teammate of earl timberlake in high school um seven footer got the carolina offer in june uh carolina is kind of pitching him on playing with dayron sharp so kind of a too big uh, lineup. Cameron Fletcher is a wing from St. Louis. Um, he's a AU teammate of Caleb Love, who we'll talk about in a second. Um, but right now, all signs kind of point to him going to Kentucky. Um, but he did include North Carolina in his in top in his top five. Dawson Garcia is a kind of stretch four, almost stretch five from Minnesota. Um, he's the 23rd ranked player in the class. Um, really good shooter um, from outside. Can handle the ball, you know, pretty well for a center. So kind of um, that stretch forward that Carolina has been looking for the last couple of classes. Uh, Puff Johnson, brother of Cameron Johnson, um, talked about at some point reclassifying into 2019 and going to school this fall. Um, seems to have opted for 2020. Is now just trying to figure out where he's going to play high school basketball next year. Walker Kessler is another center from uh, Georgia. He played on the Adidas circuit. Um, also has North Carolina on his final schools list. And I think they're kind of working to set up an official visit. Um, Caleb Love is a point guard from St. Louis we talked about earlier. Um, he will announce his top six. If you're listening to this on Friday tonight um, around 7 p.m., North Carolina will be in his top six. Jaden Springer, who's kind of the forgotten player around here as far as North Carolina offers. He's a Charlotte native who uh, plays down at IMG Academy, played with Armando Baycott last year. He has North Carolina in his top five and um, really for him, it's about setting up official visits and going from there. Uh, DJ Stewart, we talked about him. Uh, Earl Timberlake, we talked about him. And Bryce Thompson, 
uh, officially visited UNC in June. He's a player who was the first player ever under Roy Williams to Carolina to be offered by an assistant coach because his dad uh, was recruited by Steve Robinson when Robinson was the coach at Tulsa. And, uh, you know, North Carolina seemed to be pretty high on his list, but he's kind of taken a step back, I think, in his recruitment and now um, is looking to take more official visits. He's already taken his five as a junior and is looking to take more and kind of really um, take things slow with his recruitment. Uh, And then Isaiah Todd, we talked about him earlier. He's moving to Word of God next year. Um, Things have been maybe not quite as strong with North Carolina as far as communication. So I'm curious to see uh, if North Carolina is in his top five, which should be announced soon. And if so, if um, they push for an official visit. So that's kind of where things are now with all the offers. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a two and a half, three minute segment as to why you should be an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber right there. Because you get that every day from Sherelle and Sean and Ben, Don Callahan on the football side. Sherelle, that was pretty awesome, man. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have to ask you to write all that down for <laughs> an old guy like me. But um, you tell me, you tell me who's starting at quarterback, and I'll give you everything. I have an idea. But okay, I'll tell you we'll later. talk off. We'll talk <laughs> offline. There you go. Super premium. Super premium. Yeah, yeah, guys, it's been awesome. I appreciate y'all taking the time, Sean. I know you're a busy man. Uh, out there in LA, even though on my screen that shows Beverly Hills, so it kind of makes me <laughs> what Inside Carolina's paying for recruiting analysis. That, that definitely not in Beverly Hills. <laughs> it's <laughs> It's always a pleasure, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, yep. guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.